I am propped up right now by the truth that I am a blessed man. I'm not going where you think I'm going with that. You probably think I'm going down the pathway of, look at all my blessings, and I am indeed blessed. Yes, that's not where I'm going. Um, we as a family right now are, we are in it. And it is not all pleasant stuff. Um, shared a little bit earlier, we have three kids under two with one on the way. Um, we both have full-time careers and the concerns that are associated with them. We have family issues, health problems and concerns. One of us is dumb enough to undertake grad school this year. And we're not sleeping. And y'all, people keep taking my money. People just keep taking it. That's not, these aren't complaints. These are ways of me kind of relating to the fact that when I say I'm propped up, I mean I am anchored in the sheer madness that is our lives right now by the promise that as I commit my way to the Lord, he guarantees that none of this is wasted in his designs towards my ultimate salvation. I am hanging on by a thread many days. And yet, I am declared blessed. Regardless of whatever your season or station of life at the moment, for those who are called according to his purpose and who love and fear the Lord, God has declared you are blessed among all peoples. How does that promise of this blessing draw you toward wonder in the more mundane moments of your life? Do you rest in this truth in your darkest trials? Where in God's word do we find such anchoring assurance and what can and should such promises of blessing do for us when it comes to how we ought daily live the lives that the Lord has called each of us to? Well, our passage this evening gives us the clear call to submit in reverence and adoration to our gracious heavenly Father, no matter what our circumstance. And the definitive, declarative promise that as we do, there are massive assurances of ultimate and abiding blessing that await us. So our, our main meditation for this evening, or our, our big idea, fear of and love for the Lord is never in vain and will yield blessing for those who walk in his ways. Fear of and love for the Lord is never in vain and will yield blessing in due time for those who walk in his ways. Our passage tonight is Psalm 128, six verses. 
and through which we'll aim to understand three things. First, the fear of the Lord. Second, what it is to be blessed. And third, how the two are connected, the fear of the Lord and blessing. What's the relationship between them? So let's read Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So first, a little bit on the context of our passage. And I say a little bit, I mean a tiny bit. Garrett, in my uh, prep for tonight, said, if you tell us one more time what a song of ascent is, I'm going to kick you off the stage. And I said, okay, Garrett, I got you. Um, But I will take just a second to kind of paint a little bit of a contextual picture that I think is really cool, uh, sort of a good framework within which to kind of read a song of ascent. Here it is. So as you know, I'm presuming from your past weeks, right, all males in Israel to present themselves before the temple, at the temple, three times a year. So imagine setting off on your ascent, ascent because Jerusalem is a physical city up a hill, on top of a hill right? You're setting off on your ascent to perform the very rites of holy devotion God promises to bless, singing a psalm bursting with examples of how God intends to bless those who are fully devoted to him. What joyful fuel that would be for your worship that's to come. That's how I would like to encourage you to think of reading a psalm of ascent. Enough of context for now. So, like I said, three questions to help us understand and apply this scripture. I had so many amazing cross-references, but Garrett says, stay within your text, Daniel. So I'm going to stay within my text. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm yanking the chain. Um, No, to kind of define what it looks like, there are different places we could pull from in terms of what it means to um, fear the Lord. But within our text... Right here in verse 1, we've got a great definition for us to use. Walking in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Just to pull from two other places, don't turn there. Psalm 1, Psalm 112. Here we find some very similar things in terms of walking in his ways. There we kind of layer on, on top of that, delighting in his commandments, delighting in his instruction. So from all this, I kind of pull together the definition of fearing the Lord, fearing God, is seeing glimpses of his glory as as revealed in Scripture, being awed by what you see of him, and responding in the only appropriate way there is, the reverence of a life 
lived in obedience to his life-giving word. An appropriate fear of the Lord in this sense never quenches worship. It never causes us to run from God. It always fuels our worship, enabling a spirit-inspired awe that propels us toward him while lifting the veil to also view ourselves appropriately in relation to him. Namely, he is righteous. He is set apart, holy, holy, holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is righteous. We are not. We are conceived in sin, right? Our desires are only evil continually. We are born at enmity with God. He is righteous. We are not apart from Christ. Christ, the spotless lamb, our sinless savior who condescended who shed his blood sacrificially, covering our sin for all those who believe. And like no other sacrifice in history, didn't stay down, but got up as, as, a, as a, uh, a stamp from God to say, this, yes, I, that is an acceptable sacrifice, the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice that has ever been and will ever will be perfection. And now as those who not only understand our fallenness, but also God's great salvation toward us in Christ, we now walk in his ways as redeemed, blood-bought children of our Heavenly Father, seeking to be holy as he is holy and thereby confirming our election and calling. Walking in his ways, fueled by All of this is fearing the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord by which his children are called blessed. So point number two, we've talked about what it means to fear the Lord. What does it mean to be blessed and why should we care? So as you read a lot of footnotes in your Bible, as you kind of seeing the word blessed, you maybe see a little number there and you look down below and it might say the word happy. kind of a tricky picture, um, not necessarily complete. And I think it can maybe, what I want to be able to say now is being blessed is not getting everything you want in response to every hope or every prayer that you pray. Drawing from verse 2 of our passage where it says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands and you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. I think that's the best definition for our time here tonight and for us to kind of work with. And it shall be well with you. Blessed means that it is and will be well with you on the highest cosmic scale possible. Decreed and confirmed and graciously made possible by the Lord of hosts and God of the universe. He is ultimately for you, ultimately. Verse 1 of our passage is kind of like a, an Old Testament Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things ultimately work together for the believer's ultimate good. 
ultimately, you will be blessed, period. There are definitive terms here used in this passage, right? Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, right? There are you shalls, will be throughout, very declarative in nature. This is rock-solid terminology, kind of like the sun shall rise, the seasons shall change, the earth shall turn. As sure as these things, you shall be blessed. God is working things for your highest good, and it will be well with you in the most important sense. So what's the relationship here between fearing the Lord and being blessed by him? Or how are these things operationalized? How do they look? What are pitfalls that we need to kind of avoid in our understanding of what it means to be blessed as a result of our fear of the Lord? First, this psalm is not God promising you comfort and or material prosperity in this life. That's not even an expectation that should be in the believer's lexicon or, or vocabulary, right? God does not owe you anything in exchange for anything. He is in no man's debt. And if Christ, our king, was not above suffering, then you certainly aren't either. So, they're not, we're not, I'm not putting forth some sort of prosperity type of message necessarily. But I do want to also say that these blessings can and, and in many ways will be temporal, right? They will happen in our existence on this earth. And verse 2 is kind of really great indication of that. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Two observations here. You shall eat and not another, right? So that's... That's my way of saying there's no Deuteronomy 28 type curses kind of hiding around the corner here where you build, but another one comes and carries off, or excuse me, you build, and another one comes and dwells there, or you plant, and another comes and enjoys the fruit of your labor, right? Um, there, also another observation here, he's saying that you will enjoy, but in that, in that very phrase, there will be much labor, but none of it will be in vain. So I don't know what many of us are going through here tonight. But when the Lord says something like, you shall eat, for those who fear him, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, as hard as whatever it is that you're going through right now. He assures you that none of it is in vain. Observation number two here just these pictures of the fruit of the vine, the grape, or the olive, right? In terms of what it looks like to be blessed. It looks like gladness, peace, bounty. These are all pictures that the, the, the images of the grape and, and, and the olive are meant to conjure up as we kind of look at how they're used throughout the, the history of Israel. And so fruitfulness, abundance, and fullness in your household and in your closest relationships. That's why the, the author ties these things, right, inspired by the Spirit, to a, a fruitful wife, right? This, these children that are like olive shoots. They're meant to kind of show us that in our closest relationships, there will be fullness. It must be said here 
that there are very real blessings that result from knowing and obeying God now. We are freed from lives enslaved to the flesh, and we are freed to lives that bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's going to have radiating effects in the concentric circles of our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our communities. There are very real blessings to be experienced here and now. But I want to be very clear to say that the ultimate assurance of blessings that we see here in this passage ultimately lift our gazes to eternity. All right, we see this in verses 5 and 6 where the author has us look forward with these sort of future pronouncements of blessings that have us looking and hoping in what the Lord can and will do. May you, this language of may you, causes us to hope. And then ultimately landing in verse 6 with this pronouncement of peace upon Israel. Peace, which is the ultimate good that the Lord will accomplish on behalf of his chosen people, his chosen people. And the peace that we seek most, peace between God and man, as I said, we are born in iniquity, born in sin, apart from Christ, has been secured in the finished work of Christ and will result in your sanctification and ultimate glorification. So how do we apply this passage? The world will say that we often have cause for despair, but God gives us every reason to trust that those who fear him have much to hope in, now and into eternity. Our passage encourages us to behold God's work and to walk in his ways, knowing that it will ultimately be well with all who do. So in conclusion, I encourage you to pursue a holy fear of the Lord with everything that you have. You will not be disappointed. Flee the counsel of the wicked. Get out of the way of the sinner. Get up from the seat of scoffers, to, to quote Psalm 1. Believer, delight yourself in the instruction of the Lord, and he will make your path straight, bestowing blessings upon you in part now, but fully in your heavenly home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes every purpose. Lord, we pray that um, through our meditation here tonight and our reflection that you would indeed um, cause fruit to be born in due season, in due time, Father. We pray that we would indeed reflect on what it means to have a right and appropriate fear of you, Lord, that we would look to you as the ultimate blessing and not any of the material gifts that you give as something that we ought to seek, Father, but that our gift is you. Our prize in eternity will be you. And would that be our ultimate hope in, in, in days both hard and in days that are a delight here on this earth, Father, as we journey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.